Thanks for choosing this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. We look forward to reaching New Heights with you today. In this podcast, we'll have a message entitled Snooze from Psalm 27 and Philippians 4. God bless you today. in that song were too high for me to sing. So I was kind of trying to find a place to squeak in there, you know what I'm saying? And, and I was enjoying and praising God. And I hope you are too. We joined together today to reach new heights in Jesus. A couple of things I want to mention to you by way of announcements. 
Uh, upcoming, the team leader meeting is next Sunday afternoon. If you're a team leader and you're in the room, remember that you were given some homework at the last meeting asked to review your team strategy and ensure it is active and decisive and in line with the current direction of your team. So check it out. Do some work this week. Pray and uh, listen to what the Lord might have to say and so on. And be ready at that meeting to give the answer. I guess you could say, phrase it as three questions. Is it active? Is it decisive? And is it in line with the current direction of your team? And if all those are yes, then hey, this is a great strategy. But if at least one is no, say it's going to take a little bit of revising and making sure that you're in line with what God would have you to be doing. Okay? And then um, a new date that has not previously been mentioned, February 22nd. So on Tuesday night, February 22nd at 6.30, and the Bible study on Tuesday nights is going back to 6.30. We were at 7 for a while because uh, some of our uh, leaders in the room were helping with the kids and so on like that. So we're going back to 6.30. And so we go 6.30 to 7.30, that hour. Still studying right now. We've got about uh, six lessons left on 30, dis 30 discipleship um, what do you call them? What do you call them? Disciplines. That's where I can think of 30 discipleship disciplines. And um, so we've got about six of those left. And each one of, us each one of those takes us an average of about a week and a half to get through. So we don't do one lesson per night. But you're welcome to join us. You don't have to have a copy of the book. And we go 6.30 to 7.30 on Tuesday nights beginning this week. And then on the 22nd, so it's easy date to remember, 2-22-22. On that night at 6.30, we'll be doing, instead of having our regular Bible study, we're going to be doing some cleaning projects and miscellaneous projects in the building or things like that. So if you or you are in the kids' areas or team, if there's something you know needs to be taken care of, uh, first of all, you can always come and take care of it. All right? You don't have to wait around for somebody else to take care of it. You can always come and take care of it. But assuming you'd like to schedule it on that night and work with us and we'll, we'll get it on our list by then, we'll make sure that we have the supplies and the tools. And Brother Mike, I appreciate your helping me get that organized a little bit between now and then as well. And then pray this morning, Brother, Mark, Brother Mike has a very bad pain in his head. He fell on the ice and it could be from a concussion, but uh, so we're going to, as I pray, that's what I'm praying for. And I would ask you to pray with me today. Pray, continue to pray for Miss Sherry. She got the results of her MRI. She had a, the surgeon initially looked at it and now she has to wait until the 23rd of February to go and meet with the surgeon to determine whether or not surgery is the best option or what else they might be able to do. But um, since they wanted to meet with the surgeon, we know that it's not something that's easy like physical therapy or, or like not that physical therapy is easy, obviously, but it's not a simple thing to do. It's more complicated than that. So we're waiting to find out that's on 23rd. And then today is Miracle's birthday. Yay. Miracle, she talked to me in the room over there. She goes, I just love my birthday. And I said, well, I'm glad you love your birthday. So today is Miracle's birthday. Yesterday was Zoe's birthday. And then right on time, she started walking this last week. And so she's almost almost there. She's still falling because it's faster. But, um, so that's where that's at. Anybody else have a birthday that I missed just recently, last week? When's your birthday? The 25th. All right. Congratulations. Happy birthday. We missed her birthday when it went by. That's Skylar. Skylar comes from the neighborhood. She's the very, very faithful comer on Sunday morning. And she's become fast friends with a lot of the kids. So praise God for that. All right. Uh, so we're going to pray together. And I'll mention Brother Mike's head. And I hope that the Lord will miraculously intervene. I'll ask you to pray fervently with me uh, for these things. Here we go. Father in heaven, we know that you are upon the throne. You are in control of all creation. You are in control of all things. You hold the keys to life and death. You hold 
hope and peace in your hand. You hold justice and also mercy. You are the great and awesome God. And we give you all praise and all glory. At the same time, Lord, we know that we have not always done so. Before we got saved, for those of us who are in the room who are saved, before we began to live for, with and for Jesus, we shamed you. We misused our lives. Made decisions that did not honor the awesome thing that you had made us. Father, I, I ask your forgiveness. For those of us who, after we have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, know that we've made mistakes, we ask your forgiveness for that as well. It continues, I suppose, because tomorrow we may be tempted, tomorrow we may give in, tomorrow we make bad decisions, whatever. We're grateful that the salvation that you purchased upon the cross and the blood of your Son, Jesus, pays for it all. Thank you, Lord, for this place, this opportunity to meet, the opportunity to worship, the, the hands on the instruments, the voices in the air. Father, we pray for our sick and hurting who couldn't be with us today. We pray for Josh because he's he had a fever uh, yesterday evening and, and has had sinus stuff going on, and so he's not with us today, Lord. He may be joining us online. We don't know for sure. We pray for him. We pray for Miss Chris. She has ongoing health concerns that come and go almost seems like in the blink of an eye, and she's not here with us today either. And there may be others as well, Lord. We pray for them right where they're at. And we pray very specifically, Lord, for uh, Miss Sherry and her neck and the pain that, that, that radiates from her neck. We pray, Lord, that you would remedy it. We're praying for miraculous healing, um, but we're willing, Lord, however you see fit. And then, Lord, we call Mike's name out today. Brother Mike is, is part of us. He is our flesh and blood. And we love him, and we feel his pain today. And Lord, as we sing worship, we ask you to give him comfort today because he said his headache is more noise sensitive. Lord, and in this bright room, we ask you to give him comfort today. But if you could right now, Lord, if you would right now, just reach down from heaven and touch him and heal him and give him strength. Cleanse it, Lord. We rebuke this spirit of infirmity in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You, Lord, make it be gone. Lord, make it be gone. And then this time, such as it is, as we've earmarked it, it's just minutes in a day. We understand that, Lord. It ought to be every day, all day, that we're studying, that we're worshiping, that we're serving, that we're seeking you. Lord, this time is dedicated to you. Use it as you see fit. We turn it over in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Alright, so apparently, I'm struggling a little bit up here. I was singing fine in the car on the way here. That did not go well. So, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up and sing out. Tim's going to sing some of this.
ourselves how has the Lord been speaking this to us? I know we're, we're roughly uh, almost a month and a half, two months into our study emphasis. So by now, I would hope you've made some kind of a plan on how you're going to study. It may be as simple as I'm going to go to Bible study every Tuesday night, 
And then I'll think about the sermon or think about the Bible study after that time. Whatever. I hope you've made some kind of a plan on study. It is part of your spiritual growth to have a plan to study Scripture. And it is a spiritual discipline, and that's why we're focused on it. So I encourage you to do that. If you haven't already, think about it. What, how might I do it? What, where in my day might I put it to make sure that it's happening? Or how often would I do it? Okay? And then maybe you studied something this week, and you've come to share it with us now. All right? What do you got? Right. Sure. Okay, so spending a lot more time at home lately. And we have normally drive go to Cleveland multiple times a week. And again, I have been drove besides picking up Ariana and Kyra from school when I forgot to get them off the bus in three weeks. So um, the struggle changed. And so I've been reading more, and as normal, God has kind of got me thinking. So I've been reading this book, VIP, Very Important Purpose. And it's a small book. But just in the first few chapters, it's really got me thinking. And so in the first chapter, it talks about when we remember a person or gravestones, everyone has a birthday, we all have a birthday, right? So that's a part of us. It's our birthday, it's our dating on earth. And then we have, after people have died, they have a death date, right? And if you look on their tombstone, they have a date and a dash and a date. And that dash represents our entire life on earth. And so the question that the book asks is, what does your dash represent? What is your purpose? What are you doing with that dash? I worked for a company years ago um, called Dominion, and we went through this training. And it was called 1440, and they gave us bracelets and pins and cups and everything with 1440. Does anyone know what 1440 represents? It's the number of minutes in a day. There are 1440 minutes in a day. And so the point of the exercise was make every minute count. Give 110%, give your best effort, work to the best of your ability, or putting it in biblical terms, have purpose, 1,440 minutes of every day. Um, in Bible, James 4, 14, says, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, that's maybe when we vanish from earth, we spend eternity in heaven, so that's good, but... The point that got me thinking is, so the whole point of this book is trying to find your purpose. What does God have you to do? What are you supposed to do during that dash? And there's a poem in here by uh, someone named Benjamin Mays that really struck me. It says, I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute but eternity is it. So Amen. I challenge you to make every minute count and find your purpose. Amen. All right, who else? Pardon? Um, this, is a, this is a song I've heard many, many times, and it's a really good song, but if you really like listen to the lyrics, that's what I call the lyric video, it, there's so much good in this lyrics, it's insane, and I never really knew how much it was until I actually read the lyrics to myself, but this is a really good song, and by the way, if you ever want to see someone that can put on an amazing show, it's this guy. Running with the shit, running with the shit, 
talk God, man, it's dangerous. Ain't only what's flame to us, ever had a dream to us. Games of us, trained to trust the name that's blessed, stained to us, Christ came to us. I was running with the shade, running through a train. this week and it almost became a sermon today um, because I was so kind of like attracted to it or excited about it or whatever but then it wasn't where the Lord led me to go with the sermon which that caused me a lot of extra work um, but God I'm sure had a plan for that and if you're, you may be familiar if you're not it's okay I'll give you the basics of the passage in scripture where it talks about the armor of God 
in Ephesians 6, and basically I mentioned it in my sermon last week a little bit as it, as it being prepared, um, so you put your armor of God on, so you put on the armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And I was reading that, and I don't know how many times I've done the armor of God, or this passage of Scripture, Ephesians 6 in general, I've broken it down so many times, and, and I thought about it, I thought, you know what, standing firm, I think we've got this wrong. All this time we've been thinking about it, or at least I have been thinking about it in kind of an incorrect way. And so we take it like defensive. We think of armor as defensive, like it's going to keep us in the fight or it's going to keep us going or we can take more hits because we have armor on. We play uh, foam wet fighting. We haven't done too much of it recently, but we play foam wet fighting. And in that, if you're wearing armor, leather armor protects you from the first hit. Chain armor protects you from two hits. Steel armor protects you from three hits, like that. And after those hits, then if they hit you, it still counts. And so we think of armor as protecting us so we can still be there. And it does say at the end, of after the armor of God, there's a phrase where he says, and having done all to stand. And so there is that, right? But then I got to thinking, I think the armor of God in this past scripture is more about the having done all than it is the still to stand. If you think about a, a soldier's armor and what it talks about, it says breastplate, helmet, Belt, sword, shield, and shoes. The truth is, to, if, if it was just about being able to take more hits, you don't need a sword. But Paul equips that with the armor. He includes it. So it's really about being able to advance, take ground for the Lord. Standing against evil is not just, aha, I see evil, but it didn't come over here. I'm still good. Aha, evil come over here, but I've got my armor on. I'm going to be able to take some hits, so I'll be all right. That's not what it's about. Standing against evil is, oh, I see evil over there. You go over there and you stop it. Right? Now, our greatest weapon, obviously, is the sword, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is applied by telling people about Jesus. You cannot, I'm just going to be plain with you, you cannot save a drug addict. You can't do it. You don't have that kind of power. I can't do it. I don't have that kind of power. But God does. Right? As people get addicted to drugs, and people, and God brings people out sometimes of those circumstances. And it can be anything. It can be relationship struggles. You can't save somebody from a broken relationship. You can't save somebody from abusive spouse or abusive boyfriend or girlfriend. Right? You can't do it. But God can do it. So we deliver the gospel. Again, sword of the spirit, word of God, delivers the gospel and the truth. Meanwhile, we have our breastplate, we have our helmet, we have our shoes. By the way, the shoes are basically purpose. There's a gospel peace, right? And so there's purpose for us to go and take the gospel. And, and if you could do everything else, you would. one of those pieces of armor could be missing. And if the sword was missing, you'd probably be okay to stand your ground for a while until you could get a weapon. And that has probably happened to people. But I think that where it says, this is what it actually says in 10. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then he goes on to say, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and so on. And that's so we can advance in the spiritual realm. We can make a difference in the world if we put on our armor of God. It's not a defense. It is an offense. It is God's offense. So that's what came to me this week as I was studying. Anybody else got one? And we're going to pray and we'll move on. Okay, Brother Tony Brister, Deacon Brister, would you please pray for us as we transition to tithes and offerings and we move forward.
So before we get started, we're going to do a little object lesson. So I'll need somebody to volunteer for us. Come up here. All right, Kai, come on up. 
And then I'll need somebody over on that side as well, which will be off camera. So if you want to be volunteering off camera, now's your chance. Tommy, on the other side over there, if you would. You grab two chairs and turn them off to the face like this. While Tommy's setting his our tie. Is that enough chair? Will you fit on there? You can land on that one. Then two chairs, if you would. All right. So here, we're going to set the scene for you, and then I want you to react as if what I'm describing has happened, okay? So you're laying on a platform, you're snoozing, take a little nap, okay? And then all of a sudden, that platform begins to rock violently. What do you do? Help you out a little bit. Okay? <laughs> Lay on the platform, and all of a sudden, it begins to rock violently. So Ty rolls over and falls down. That's it. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you, sir. All right, Tommy's going to role play. All right. Okay. Yeah, you barely fit on these chairs. You probably on three chairs, yeah. All right. So you're laying on a platform, okay? But this platform is in the back of an airplane. You know where it's at. When you went to sleep, you knew where you were in the back of an airplane. Okay? It's a, yeah, it explains the discomfort. Okay, yeah. And you're, this is a very high-tech airplane. In fact, you know the designer of the airplane. You know the person who designed the airplane from back in, you know, your school days or something. You knew this guy, grew up, you knew he, man, he was good, he was sharp. He knew math, he knew science, he was an incredible engineer, he was the guy in the room that everybody looked to and said, man, he's, he's really something, okay? And you know the pilot of the airplane. You know the guy who's flying the airplane. You know that he graduated with honors from his school, he was in the Air Force for 20 years, Fly, flew jets in combat, everything else, he's a fabulous, fabulous pilot, okay? You knew that was the situation when you went to sleep. And then suddenly the platform begins to rock violently. I can't hear <laughs> <laughs> little sound effects for there. All right. So what do you do when the platform begins to rock violently? Uh, hold tight. <laughs> okay, just hold on. Yeah. All right, okay, that's all we need. Hey, have a seat. You can leave these here for now. That's fine. As you can see, there would be a difference in response. Now, in the second case, I give a lot more qualifiers, right? As a general rule, if I am sleeping anywhere, snoozing as it were, and suddenly the environment around me changes, I am an extremely light sleeper. I, I've been, I can't tell you the number of times that I have been driving in the passenger seat of the car, and Sherry was uh, driving the car, and all of a sudden it looked like, uh, you know, maybe she had gone a little bit off center. She hit that little rumble strip on the side of the road, or I felt a little swerve or something, and I'd wake up and go, what? You know, like I'm going to do anything at all in the passenger seat. Slam my foot on the floor, you know, grab onto the dash, whatever. Um, it could be because in the, back, in the past I have had a couple of, it's been a long time now, but I have a couple accidents while I fell asleep at the wheel. And so when, you, when you're asleep at the wheel and you wake up suddenly in an accident, then that sort of affects you, right? So, so I slam the floor and grab the wheel, except I'm not the one driving, so that's not going to do any good at all, all right? Um, but I can be laying at home in my bed. And I'll hear a funny noise in the house. And I'll wake up and go, what's that? <laughs> and I'll lay there. I'll say, oh, it's a little squeak in the furnace. It's all good. And I'll roll over and go back to sleep. All right? It's different what you do when you're snoozing or sleeping based on what you knew when you went to sleep. Okay? I want you to bear that in mind then as we go to the scripture. And grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Psalm 27. Thank you for those of you who participate in that little object lesson. From here on out, this will be the word of the Lord. As we get there, we're going to flip in your Bibles, push the buttons, whatever, if you haven't already done it, and get to Psalm 27. 
Before I begin to read this, I want to share a story from my life. Midweek, the kids were in school. It's about one o'clock in the afternoon. There's snow on the ground outside. Sherry called me, and she sounded funny on the phone, like she was upset. And she said to me, she said, I've lost my job. Now at the time, her job was our only source of income. We already knew that we were in a financially strapped situation, that we didn't have any room to mess around with. I was in Bible college full-time that semester. Um, and, you know, you can look at that circumstance and say, well, you're a Christian, you're a follower of God, you should know the exact right thing to say, right? But it isn't that easy when you're living through it. I mean, you've been there. You know what it's like. That moment in time at which you're about to say or do something or what's actually happening is about to potentially blow up your life. You realize, if I get mad or I say something nasty or if I, whatever, and I'm not thinking this fast at the time, but if I would have said something bitter or nasty or whatever, or what do you mean or how can that be? Or if I'd have responded just some sort of way, it would have blown up our marriage, blown up our house, blown up our lives. By the grace of God, I took a half a breath and I felt the Holy Spirit speaking in me and I said, well, whatever happens, it's going to be okay. And she, and she basically said, well, how can you say that? She said, well, no, we don't have any income. We're going to lose our house. We're going to, all these things are going to happen. Um, and I said, if we lose our house, then what? If we have no income, then what? I said, the absolute worst thing that can happen to us, I mean, let's be really realistic. The worst thing that can happen to us is we'll be homeless, but we'll be together. And I said, we have each other. We have the kids. We have our family. I said, we have God. First of all, I don't think that's going to happen anyway because I don't think God's going to let it happen. But even if that did happen, I said, the worst thing to happen, we would be together. And she's sobbing on the phone. She was four and a half months pregnant. So for the ladies in the room who have ever been four and a half months pregnant, you can imagine what this conversation probably felt like from her side. I cannot imagine what that conversation felt like from her side, but I do know that we had the opportunity to potentially lose all of that good stuff that I just listed off if I had said the wrong thing or if our conversation had gone the wrong way. We're going to talk about what it's like to be in one of those storm moments. The psalm, Psalm 27, which was written by David... And we've looked at it, some of it, before, and we're going to look at part of it again today. Psalm 27, verse 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Amen. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, a host is an army, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me in spite of this, I shall be confident. That's a pretty good place to be. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up 
on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And skip down to 13 if you would, not for any particular reason, but just so for expediency. And he says in 13, I would have despaired. It means I would have, that word despaired is a powerful word in scripture. It means I would have felt as if I had no hope. I would have been lost without strength, wiped out, unuseful to God, unable to move, stuck. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord, hear it, in the land of the living. In other words, while I'm still alive, I would see the goodness of the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Storms of life can be scary. Really scary. That moment of time, your heart might... There's no guy with a knife, you know what I mean? There's no gun to your head, whatever. But there's that moment of time in which you realize this is it. This is potentially huge. This could challenge everything that's stable in my life. And I could lose it right now. I could lose my wife, I could lose my kids, or my house, or my friends, or my, my health. or what, This could be it. This could be the moment of time I could lose everything if, I, if, if things don't go the way I want. In fact, it can even get to the point where it's looking like it's not going to go the way you want. It's literally falling apart, slipping through your fingers. Storms can be scary. They're scary because, number one, they're not prevented. You know God, right? You know the kind of power God has. God could stop that before it starts. If God can stop the wind and the rain, then he can make the wind and the rain not start, right? And we go, oh, but why, why would the God of heaven allow this? If he's allowing it, how far is he going to allow it to go? They're scary because they're not prevented. Though we know who God is, we know God's love for us, we know to trust in God, he does not prevent the storms of this life. And that makes them very scary. Also, they can come anywhere at any time. You're living in tornado country, and every time you hear about a storm, right, you think, oh, well, let's see if this one's going to have funnel clouds. Let's see if this one's going to have that storm front that can generate tornadoes. You know, you're living in California, and the furnace rumbles a little bit, and you're wondering, is it an earthquake? You know, you're living in Florida, and every time the weatherman says, there's a storm front down in the Gulf, you wonder, is it coming up here? Is it going to send six-foot tidal waves through our bedroom and blast our bed out the window, real things that happen. But this is more than that. This is more than the rumble could be an earthquake or the winds could be tornadoes or the, the storm in the Gulf could flood. This is anytime, anywhere. You could be, I'm sailing along, things are going great, and all of a sudden I'm taking it back. And that's why it's so scary because there it is. Out of the darkness, violently, loudly comes the storm and you're like, I wasn't expecting a storm. Not like a forecast where they say it's coming like weeks in advance and school's canceled for three days even though it's only going to rain one day. But unforecasted, here it is. It's scary. I'd like to say to you that there is an easy way out of that situation, the fear that comes along with those storms, but the reality is there isn't. Because with life comes risk. If there's no risk, there's no free will. If there's no free will, there's no love. If there's no love... Why bother with life? God made people to love them, and the hope would be that he would love them back. You have free will, 
so does the other guy. And if he has free will, he can do something that you don't like. He can bring about a storm, a situation can arise. Half of the things that are going wrong with nature right now are attributed to what mankind has already done to the planet. And that, of course, is attributed to the fall. And the half that is not directly attributed to what mankind has already done to the planet is directly attributed to the fall, the groanings of creation waiting for the redemption of Jesus Christ. If you're going to be alive on the earth, you're going to face risk. And it can all slip through your fingers in a, in a moment. Millionaires who lose their entire fortune on the stock market in a single day. You're driving down the road and everything's fine. You've got a wife, you've got kids, you've got a house, whatever. You've got, you got a husband and kids and a house and everything's fine. And somebody runs out in the middle of the street and you're not paying attention because you're just in the radio, God forbid, or you're doing something else or just something on the side of the road just happened and you're distracted and you hit that person. Next thing you know, you've got manslaughter charges and you're in court 74 times before you maybe go to jail and you didn't do anything. The storms of life can come on you unawares just when you thought everything was fine. That's why you cannot, it's, a, you know, it's a good wisdom not to take any moment for granted, any valuable thing that you have for granted, because in life we face risk. If you're in this room and you're older than 20 and you've not had a broken relationship, a broken employment situation, or a broken health situation, I'd be surprised. Because everybody faces risk, it's always there. Storms can be scary, because God, partly because God doesn't prevent them, because they can come from anywhere at any time. When I was in uh, junior high, my mother started writing me notes to skip my physicals at school. She had convinced me that I had certain physical ailments that were wrong with me. Scoliosis, which I do have what's called a priori scoliosis, very minor case of scoliosis where your hips are not exactly level. Probably never look at me the same again after I mention that. But I didn't want to find out what was wrong with me, so I was perfectly fine that she's running. But in getting the note to avoid the physical so I would never find out about the storm that I was already facing, was I doing myself any favors? When I was a, a sophomore in high school, 16 years old, I wanted to get my airplane license. I didn't pursue it. You know why? Because I thought I wouldn't pass the physical. At 19 years old, I, I took the ASVAB in to, uh, the recruiting office for the military. I think I, I don't remember what officer gave it to me, whatever. I was going to go in the Marines. But weighing on my mind the whole time was this thought that I might not pass the physical and even be able to get in. And even though my ASVAB test was very high and I could have flown helicopters in the Marines, which is what I really wanted to do, when they said I had to wait two and a half years, I was like, eh, two and a half years, I probably won't even be here. I'd probably be dead. Now, I was lost at the time, not a follower of Jesus. But that's what I was living under. I submit to you that out there in the world right now, people who don't know Jesus, there's a lot of that going on. The reason that people get into things like drugs or illicit sexual relationships or things like that is because in the moment, they're living vibrantly or they think they're having a lot of fun or whatever, but they don't actually think they're going to live to be older. I really honestly believed I would never live to be 26 years old. The whole time I was growing up. When I was a teenager, I thought I would never be 21. Then once I made 21, I was pretty sure I wouldn't live past 26. And then I actually got saved at 25, baptized at 26, which means I didn't live past 26. I became a new creation. So I was right. But how many people are out there right now, the guys that are bungee jumping, they're like, well, you know, if you splat at the bottom, whatever, no one's going to live forever. But all the good that they can do and everything else that they can do after that, they're risking. And the reason is because as, as much as you are alive, you face risk, storms will come on you. Does it stink? Yes, but it's a reality. And if you're afraid of the storms, if you're coward when it comes to being bold 
and facing the difficulties of life, then you might bail out with drugs or sex or whatever. Storms can be scary. The second thing I want you to see comes out of a story in the New Testament. It's really the rest of this sermon. It comes out of the story in the New Testament. We're not going to go there and read it, but you may have heard it. If you haven't heard it, I'm about to share it with you briefly. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three, three of the four Gospels. And it talks about Jesus being on a boat. And they hit a storm. And it's raining. And the waves are high. And the winds are blowing like crazy. And the, storm, the boat is tossed to and fro. And where is Jesus? Sleeping. Yep, sleeping. Where is sleeping? It's very specific. What? Nope, he's not below deck in this one. He's sleeping on the back of the boat on a cushion. It says, it says literally in Scripture that he's sleeping on the back of the boat on a cushion. While the waves are tossed, while the wind is blowing, while the rain's coming down hard, it says he's in the back of the boat sleeping on a cushion. It probably means he didn't have anything over his head, by the way. So not only was he sleeping in tossing waves, but he was sleeping in the rain. I'm, I'm here to tell you that sleeping in the rain, that's not easy for me. Right? I'm a light sleeper. So that first raindrop falls, and I'm like, hey, we've got to get cover. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get some cover so I can get back to napping. But Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the rear of the boat. He was sleeping peacefully in the middle of all that. Well, there's a couple of things right away you've got to see. Number one, Jesus could do that partly because he knew it was not his time. Didn't Jesus already knew that he was going to die by crucifixion? That means he's not going to die in a boat in a storm, right? If he knows he's going to die by crucifixion. And the scripture tells us that Jesus would die by crucifixion. So any of the prophets that read, at least later prophets, could have known he was going to die by crucifixion. So they also would have known he wasn't going to die in a boat. It wasn't his time. Also, he was about God's business. And if you, and I was give you this promise today, it's not from me, it's from God, but if you will be about God's business, then you will be safe. You're like, oh, no, that doesn't work because I've been about God's business and things happened to me that I didn't want to have happen. That's not what I said. I didn't say anything about nothing will ever happen to you that you don't want to have happen. If that's what you think safety is, then you've never actually been in a dangerous situation. Because safety is not about nothing bad happens to you, right? When three guys come at you with knives, safety is not about not getting cut. <laughs> safety is about surviving this situation, doing the best that you can under a difficult situation, and being able to walk away. Sometimes safety is about hurting the other guy so that you, so you survive and succeed, right? It's self-defense. Safety. If you can be about God's business, you will be safe. If you die while about God's business, what happens? You go straight to heaven. And this is where I have gotten stuck so many times. I've made it this far in my logic so many times. In fact, there's a, a great apologeticist. Um, there's some videos out there you can watch, and I've, been, and I've watched them all now, some of them twice. Um, but he, talks, he answers a question that people ask about the Bible or about God or about Christianity. He answers it in like four minutes. And so whatever it is, he answers it. And he answered how God can allow suffering. One of the questions is how God can allow suffering. And his answer in part was, even if you suffer during this lifetime, if you suffered for the whole, let's say you were alive for 100 years and you suffered for every minute of 100 years, that will pale in comparison to an eternity with God in heaven. And it will, he's right. We only think of this moment of suffering, what we're going through, as so bad. We only see the storm as so terrible because to us, it looms large. Here it is. It's all we can see, all we can think about. It's the most important thing right now, right? Everything is on the line here. So now my heart is racing, my palms are sweating, my mouth is full of cotton because everything is on the line here. 
except everything's not on the line. Worst case scenario, if you die, you go straight to heaven, assuming you're a follower, in, in truth a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything is not on the line. But that's the way we feel. If you be about God's business, you'll be safe. And you can sleep peacefully as Jesus slept peacefully. And I'm not talking about literal sleep necessarily, although there may be cases in which you can do that, in which someone else might not be able to because you know you're taken care of, right? But I'm talking about resting or having peace in the middle of the storm. So this is what you do. This is your simple action plan, and then we'll come back to a slightly more complex action plan later. This is what Jesus did as our example in the story where he's sleeping on the boat. Uh, we all know the end of the story, right? He gets up, commands the storm and the wind and the rain to stop, and they stop. And the disciples look at them and they say, Whoa, who is this guy that he can even command the storm to cease? I submit to you the storm and Jesus' peaceful rest and his commanding it to stop was all to get us to understand what I'm about to say to you, which is this. Here's what you do. Give your best. We're working for the Lord. We're doing what we do. Do everything you do as if you're doing it for God. Give your best. If you, take, if you have a math worksheet at school, you have a problem at work, you have a conversation with somebody that you weren't expecting, whatever you are, wherever that situation, give your best. Side note, your best is better than you think it is. Always. As far as you have come, whatever you are capable of, in that circumstance, if you just say, okay, I'm going to do here whatever it is that God wants me to do, and I'm going to do my best. I'm going to pile in, try hard, self-sacrifice, bleed if necessary, spend my skills, dig into my experiences, exercise my spiritual gifts. I'm going to do my best. Your best will always be, wherever you're at, it will always be more than you think it is. It's greater than you know. Because God can bring out of you that which you've totally forgot you had. God can make your muscles do what you didn't even know your muscles could do. So your best will always be greater than you know. So you give your best. Do it in your best understanding. In other words, assess the situation. I've done this much study, meditation, prayer, got this basics from God. I understand this much about this circumstance. I better do the best I can the best I know how. Side note, the best you know how will always be greater than you know. So if you assess it in advance, you go, ah, I can do that. I can solve this problem. Uh, for example, in school, they say, you can do, you got a, here's 100 math problems, right? We're going to do as many as we possibly can in 60 seconds. And you say, well, I've taken this test three times before, and I always get 48. So if I take it today, I'm going to get 48. Could you say that? With certainty? No, you couldn't. Because you take it today and you might get 47 or you might get 49 or they might be slightly easier than that or there might be a pattern. You might bump into a pattern and go, oh, these four here in a row are all the same. Boom, 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 boom. And now you got 52. You just don't know what you are capable of and you don't even know what you know. Give your best, the best you know how, and leave the rest up to God. Side note, the rest that is left up to God, wait for it, it's more than you'll ever know. Do we not understand that it is entirely possible that we are only seated in this room or standing in this room today because God miraculously saved our lives yesterday? While you were getting frustrated or upset because of some delay, 
God moved you geographically in time so that later in the same day, you didn't wind up somewhere and wind up dead. Cancer cells popped up in your body last week, but God demolished them so that you could be here and not worried about it, not facing it. Kidney stones. God can eliminate pain so you can get up and do what you're supposed to do, so you'll be where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do. Again, by your best knowledge, by your best effort, more than you can even know, leave the rest up to God. That is more than you can know. If God will save your life, I wish there would be a study. There's never been one done, but I have hypothesized about a study that if you add up all the percentage chances, like they'll say, in any given minute, you have this, you know, one in so many people or this percentage chance of dying by this cause, right? Dying by cancer, dying by COVID, dying by car accident, dying by, hit by lightning. If you add all those up, I think what you would find if you add all of them up is that the chance is over 50%. So that in any given moment, you have a better than 50% chance of dying if you add up all the causes. Why are you still here? Because God has been pouring in on his side, keeping you alive, giving you a plan for your life. You may be still discovering what it is, but giving you a plan, giving you abilities, giving you capabilities, training your mind to put into practice those capabilities so that you can do the best you can do to the best of your knowledge and leave the rest up to him. If you are doing what he would have you to do, you're safe. This is the humor of worry, regret, and frustration. You know how worry works, right? You look and see an outcome that you don't like. You go, oh, I really don't want that to happen. And you sit and fret about it, think about it, plan about it, plan seven ways to Sunday to make it not happen. Plan, prepare, go buy bunches of extra insurance or extra vehicles or firearms for your house or some extra alarms or you know, whatever, all the, to, to protect from any possible negative event that could happen. There's all kinds of things that you can do, and you get worried, and you start taking on these plans, and you think, well, I can do that. Well, that's not going to stop you. Oh, I can do that. But remember, all you're asked to do is to give your best, which in that case, now you're not, and then to do what you know to do. Do it to your best knowledge. And now you're not, because you're shutting down the part of your brain that is used to apply what you would be doing. Instead, you're worrying about what might not even happen. So you're shutting that down. And then you're leaving out what God would do and saying, well, I'm worried this is going to happen instead of trusting God to determine. So you're literally, all three of those steps, you're disrupting them by worrying about what the future is going to bring. Or regretting the past. Can you do anything about what you did six years ago? No. You can't. There's nothing to do what you, you know, I didn't eat right for years. And so now I'm paying the price for that. Or I fought too much. Like I fought and punched a bunch of stuff in high school. And I had, for over a decade, I had pain in my hands. Every day. Aches in my hands. And then eventually I took glucosamine chondroitin sulfate, which healed the cartilage in my hand. The pain went away. But for over 10 years, I had pain in my hands every day from all the stuff I did. Could I do anything about the fact that I punched lockers and cars and faces when I was growing up? No, I couldn't do anything about that. But I could regret it. And when you regret it, you're... Part of your brain that you're supposed to be applying yourself with is now wrapped up in regret. You can't do anything about it, so there's no ability to be applied. You have no ability to do anything about it. And God, who actually, ironically, probably could do something about it, he's dealing with the present and the future like you should be. Worry, regret, frustration, all those things leave out the fact that we just don't know. We're really just supposed to be applying the best of our ability by, by the best we know 
and leaving the rest up to God, and we've decided not to do that, so we're going to worry and regret or be frustrated or whatever instead. Remember this before we move on to the next point. The next time that you're really upset about the way things are going, God may be saving your life. The next time that you're fretting or fuming about the car being broken, God literally may be saving your life in that moment or the life of your spouse or your kids. You're like, well, I would trade my frustration for my own pain, but would you for your kid, for your spouse, or your friend, for me? God could be saving somebody and leaving you with a little bit of frustration because all you're really supposed to do is your best, the best you know how, and leave the rest up to him, and you're unwilling to do that. The third thing I want you to see then in tying these two passages of Scripture together is that the boat that survives for sure is the boat with Jesus in it. You can invite Jesus in. You cannot force Jesus to come in. But Jesus promises when he says, whosoever call upon the name of the Lord, he will be saved. If you are here today and you have not invited Jesus Christ into your life to be Lord and master of your life, admit it, realize that you need it, believe that he'll do it, And call on him and say, okay, Jesus, you come in and you be in charge of my life. Forgive my sins. It's been paid for. And lead me from now on. At that point in time, Jesus will enter the boat. The boat of your life. The person that you are. Jesus will get in you. And that's what you need. Every boat struggles. All of them. If we sat down and and in this, passed out pieces of paper in this room with a pen. I said, what would you write down? Ten things that happen to you that you're not, you don't like. You're not beating yourself up over. Ten things that I, you've been through that you don't like. You didn't like it when it happened. You wish it hadn't happened. Ten things. Not saying full of regret, guilt, anything like that. Just write it down. No one would have trouble coming up with ten. If you do, it wouldn't be because you haven't been through ten. It's because you haven't embraced or realized the ten that you've been through. You don't want to admit it. Like, man, it was really hard for me when so-and-so died, but I don't want to talk about that, so I'm going to leave that off the list. Man, it was really hard for me. I lost that job back then. I felt like I was going to die, but I'm going to leave that off the list. Man, it was hard for me when he or she broke up with me, but I'm going to leave that off the list. So I can't come up with 10. But the truth is you get all. We all can come because every boat struggles. Every boat works its way forward slowly through the water. Every boat pushes past barriers. It won't be the boat that follows the rules that survives. It won't. Take your Bible and go through it and write down all the rules that God has ever given us. First of all, you won't find very many. If you actually know what the Bible is, you realize there's not very many rules. The Ten Commandments, that's not rules. It's directives to govern a life and to look different from a people that are not God's people. It's teachings. This is how we can do it. This is how if you do this, I will do this. We, we will make this happen. It's not just, oh, I can't have. Oh, I don't. I'm not going to be able to do this because God says no. They're not rules. They're teachings and direction. And, and we observe how the universe works by Scripture. But it's not going to be the boat that follows the rules that makes it through. At least not outside Christ anyway. It won't be the boat that is near to Jesus. And this one, this one will get you if you're not careful. Because if you're in this room and you're taking the time right now and you're listening to me, but you have not truly invited Jesus Christ into your life, in other words, if you're hearing it and you're getting it, you say, okay, I get it. You're saying we're all going to face difficulties, but there is a way to face those difficulties that I can be more successful. And I want that. But you're not willing to say, okay, Jesus, come in and take control of my life. I want you to understand, it is not the boat that has Jesus near the boat that it survives. It's the boat that has Jesus in the boat. There are going to be people that don't get to go to heaven. 
that talked about Jesus. In Matthew 7, it says there will be people who say, we prophesied and we healed in your name. And he says, get away from me, I never knew you. So you can be in this church. You can work in your ministry team. You can take care of your responsibilities. You can give. You might be the best giver financially of anybody. You could perform literal miracles. So-and-so's hurt. You walk up with your hand and say, heal my brother or sister in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, the Son of God, healed. And they might get healed just like that. Then whatever goes away. And they're healed. And you're like, ah, it must be good because I healed them. God healed them through me and I'm giving him all the credit. And then you get there to that moment in time and he says, get away from me, I never knew you. And you're like, but, but we, but I, it doesn't matter. The boat that has Jesus in it will survive. Not the boat that encountered Jesus, not the boat that taught about Jesus, not the boat that knew who Jesus was. The demons know who Jesus is. But the boat that has Jesus in it, that's the boat that survives. That's the kind of boat that you want to be. It's not the boat that was near or touched or follows the rules. And every boat struggles. So don't think it's the boat that doesn't struggle. But it's the boat that has Jesus in it. It won't be the boat that's better made. So for all your efforts, planning, investments, rules on how you're going to do things, training, my dad or my mom taught me really well, or I learned about how to do it on YouTube, or I read L. Ron Hubbard's Dianetics and learned how to be a great individual, and since then I've made my fortune, and my house is finally right, and my life is all flowing smoothly, and everything's going great. I know there's still storms, but I, I'll be fine because I've always been fine. I'll land on my feet through all of this. It's not the boat that's better made. It's not the boat that's better manned. In other words, you can have people in your life that are helping you, your parents, your friends, your fellow church members, whatever. And just because they're to help you, the storms are more easily weathered. You know what I'm saying? People are taking care of you. People are providing for you. But it's not the boat that be that's better manned that survives the storm. It's not the boat that turns back sooner. If Jesus had got on the boat that day, you think Jesus knew it was going to storm? I think he probably did. I think Jesus was sleeping on the cushion, going to sleep full well, knowing it was going to storm. That's what I think. But I can't say that for sure. But if he had, he wouldn't have said, let's not go out. Because it's not the boat that turns back sooner, or that hides from responsibility, or that doesn't take a bullet, or that doesn't go to the cross, or that doesn't show up, speak up, stand out, stand in, stand firm, and not quit. No, it's not that boat, not the boat that goes back sooner. It's the boat that goes through the storm with Jesus in the boat that survives the storm. It is not the boat that has a better plan that survives the storm. It's the boat that has Jesus in it that survives the storm. We come to our conclusion, and we're going to go to our uh, other passage of Scripture. So if you would look at Philippians 4 with me, and if you're not following along in your Bibles, it's okay. I do encourage you to do that because you may see something or God may speak to you in some way uh, as you read along in your own translation, if yours is different than mine. Also, when you read it and take it in through your ears, you're more likely to remember it. Okay? So, not going to read the whole chapter of Philippians 4, but we're going to just read verses 6 and 7. It's all kind of the same context. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known to God. So be anxious for nothing is 
Don't worry about it. But it's so much more than that. Because again, we're, we're not going to worry about what's coming, but sometimes it's going to come on us unawares. All of a sudden it's here. And now everything that we have is threatened. It's all on the line. We may not even realize it, how far the ramifications are. But in that moment, he says, don't worry about it. Right? Back to give your best. In that moment, give your best, which will be more than you know. Do it by your best knowledge, which will be more than you know. And trust the rest up to God, and he will do more than you know. Be anxious for nothing, he says. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. So in other words, everything you're going through, I, I want to say this simply, it's going to sound almost dumb in a way, but literally every time you're faced with something that you didn't expect, the first thing you should do is pray. Only way you're going to do that is if you are a regular prayer. I'll never forget, years ago, touched my heart in a powerful way. It was a young couple, it was part of our church, that took their, one of their children to the uh, emergency room and the doctor said that they, it was bad. Very bad. And she might die. It was very bad. It was a head injury. It was very serious. And they called me up from the hospital. And they said, will you, play, will you pray for us? Will you pray for us? And I didn't even know. I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? She said, well, we're at the hospital. And, and they said, our kid might die. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. I'll pray. Uh, have you prayed? And they said, no. First got quiet. And they said, well, no, we haven't prayed yet. We called you first. Who calls their pastor first to pray and instead of praying? The person that's not commonly in the practice of praying. So get in the practice of praying. Pray about everything. Talk to God as if he were standing next to you or walking around inside you. Get so commonly used to prayer that everything that happens to you when, it's, when you're taken aback, you first go to God in prayer. So what do we do? Most of the time, what do humans do? We get anxious. Well, I, I mentioned it, right? And everybody was okay with it. When I described it as your heart pounds, your palms sweat, your mouth gets cottony, like, what am I going to do? Right? When all of a sudden it's in front of you. We all know that happens. But when that happens, if you're prayer, you go to God in prayer. Ironically, you watch movies all the time and you hear people say, something surprising will happen. You know what they say? They say, oh my God. Right? Which, by the way, is taking the Lord's name in vain. You shouldn't do that. And we watch it all the time. So if you're watching a show and people are taking the Lord's name in vain, I encourage you to turn it off. They're taking the Lord's name in vain. It's one of the Ten Commandments. They're doing it right in front of you. And you're taking it like it's no big deal. But it is a big deal. It's not just a saying. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. And they're comfortable doing that, which means they're also comfortable doing, uh, breaking other ten of the Ten Commandments as well, right? Now back on top of it, and say, oh my God. But actually, this is what's funny. What we should be doing when something surprises us is saying, Lord, did you see that? Lord, help me here. Lord, what am I supposed to do, Right? Or, oh my God, give me wisdom. Oh my God, give me strength. Oh my God, help me now, as in we're actually talking to God. Instead of saying, oh my God, all the time, not meaning anything, we should be saying, oh my God, talking. That's what's ironic about it. The world that doesn't know God says, oh my God, when they are startled by something. But the church that knows God, that walks with God supposedly every day, doesn't say, oh my God, meaning it, mind you, when they're startled. Be a prayer. Get used to it. And when something comes up all of a sudden, pray. In everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication is, is kind of like another word for prayer, but it in, includes an attitude. It includes an attitude of humility. Realizing you may not have what it takes to get through this storm. Lift it up to God. 
trust that God knows exactly what's going on. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Oh boy, when's the last time something came up that all of a sudden you're dealing with it and you're like, oh man, this could be huge. This, is, this could be the end of my vehicle or my job or my relationship or whatever. And the first thing you did was thank God for what was happening. Was it even on the list? Or did you wait until after it was over and you look back and say, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I acted like an idiot there. I'm sorry I got frustrated. I'm sorry I was panicking. I should have known you had it under control all the while. Thank you, Lord, for seeing me through that difficult time. That's what we do most of the time, isn't it? When actually what you should do is, like, Lord, I'm facing something right now, right here. I need you right now. I need a miracle right now. Please help me. And thank you for whatever's about to happen that you're going to take care of, that it's going to be in your will. Trusting the Lord is about prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. This is, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7 then says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. The ability to be asleep on the cushion in the back of the boat, that's the peace of God. The ability to not freak out when somebody jumps out at you or something crops up at you that you weren't expecting, that's the peace of God. The ability to not get frustrated or angry or act out of impatience when things don't go the way you want, that's the peace of God. Why am I explaining it anecdotically? Why am I explaining it in a way that's got to give you an illustration? Because this peace of God, as is mentioned by Scripture we just read, it is not easily understood. In fact, this is what it says, and this peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, you can't get it, I can't get it, but if we can just follow the action plan, we can have it. You're not going to understand it when it doesn't make any sense. When I was at, when I was at Pizza Hut, and I had a boss, and they yelling at me, telling me how they're going to fire me, and whatever, and I'm just standing there calmly, and you, you have to know me who I was before I got saved. Like, I couldn't handle interpersonal conflict at all. Like, I would cry or melt or just want to run away or hide my head. And then after I was saved at this time, and he's yelling at me, and he's like, you don't understand. I could fire you right now. And as soon as he said, I realized I wasn't afraid. I wasn't upset. My heart wasn't racing. I wasn't sweating. Even though my job was just about to be ended. My $40,000 a year that I was making a pizza was just about to go out the door. And we had debts, a lot of them, because we were still young Christians, hadn't dealt with any of that yet. We had a house payment. Were we going to be able to pay? I wasn't thinking about any of that. I wasn't afraid. And he said, you know what your problem is? You're not afraid of me. And I said, no, I guess I'm not. I said, I'm really only afraid of God now. Similar instance, about a year later, I got a new boss who came in. It was actually my boss's boss. And she pulled me in the walk-in cooler, and she said, she's yelling at me, and she said, you know what your problem is? And I said, well, I know, but you're about to tell me what my problem is. And I wasn't afraid. And she said, your problem is you're not afraid of me. And I said, I'm only afraid of God. But in that moment, you know who was most startled that I wasn't afraid? Me. I was baffled. I couldn't believe it. And that's the way it'll be for you or for me when we're following Jesus, walking with Jesus, doing what we know to do by the best knowledge that we have, or do what you're supposed to do by the best knowledge that you have, and trust God with the rest. And the storm is there, and what do you do? Repeat. Do that. Do the best you know to do with the best knowledge that you have, and let God take care of the rest, and you will have the peace that passes comprehension. It's beyond what you can fathom. It doesn't make any sense because that's not who I am. 
Except in Christ, that's who we are. You can make a magic trick out of anything. You can make anything seem mysterious. Two coins, hide one, suddenly one coin is two. Ariana was doing magic tricks this week at the house. They got that paper, flick a little spark on it, it goes, bursts into flames. Wands with flowers and handkerchiefs inside. You get that handkerchief trick where it runs all on your clothes and you pull one, you got one handkerchief, show them it's just like this long, right? And then you pull one out and it's, there it is, it's like 40 long. You're like, where does all those handkerchiefs come from? You can make a ma- magic trick out of anything and some people like that kind of stuff. This is no magic trick. This is not actually hard. If you are here today and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this tells us how to have that peace. How to be able to sleep on the cushion at the back of the boat in the storm. Now, I'm not saying you really want to do that, but to be calm, to be okay, to know that what's going to come next is in the hands of the Lord. And it is this. It is to get in the habit of doing that which God has given you to do. So how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to have to figure out what your spiritual gifts are. Figure out what your personality is, what your experiences are. You put that together, and if you do it like I've done it, you do it like you kind of write a statement for yourself. You say, well, this is what I'm going to do, and I know this is what I'm going to be doing. And then you can reasonably say that unless God changes that statement, or your understanding of what you're supposed to be doing, that you can do that until you die. And if that's a month, it's a month. And if it's 20 years, it's 20. And if it's another 100, and it could be for some of us very easily 100 years, then you're going to be doing that unless God changes the statement. And then you do the best you can, the best you know how, and leave the rest up to Him. And when the storm arises, you'll be doing the best you can, the best you know how, and leaving the rest up to Him, and you'll be able to say, well, if God wants me to die in this storm, then I'm going to die in this storm. End of story. Can't be letting this interrupt my nap. And they came to Jesus, and they woke Him up, and they said, Lord, do you not care that we're dying? Because they didn't have that. They didn't practice this. So they said, do you not care that we're dying? And Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. This, what I'm describing to you, it is the basic tenets and practice of faith. Being able to endure the storm with Jesus and make it through is about essentially three things. It's about trust, it's about today, and it's about tomorrow. You're not even in it. It's not even about you. Nor is it about the events. It's about trust, it's about today, and it's about tomorrow. Today, I trust I am doing what it is that I am supposed to be doing to the best of my knowledge and trusting God with the, with the rest of whatever happens today. And because I'm doing that, I can safely assume that's what I'll be doing tomorrow. And if you stay the course and that's what you're doing tomorrow, today I trust. I do what I'm supposed to do to the best of my knowledge and I trust God with the rest. Tomorrow, that's what I'll be doing. The next day, that's what I'll be doing. Tomorrow, today will be tomorrow. It's backwards. Tomorrow, tomorrow will be today. There you go. How about that? And then the next day will be tomorrow. And then when you get to the the day after tomorrow, that'll be today. And all you do, all you really have to do is trust him. Trust him and do what you're supposed to do the best you know how. Both of those things will be greater than you know. You're like, well, I know I'm supposed to do this. And you'll go and do it and you'll be doing way more than you expected. Able to do way more than you expected. And then God will be doing way more than you expected him to do. And when the storm arises, you can reasonably say, I have trusted God with my today. I have trusted God with my tomorrow when it hadn't come yet. And now here it is. And here is the storm. And it's abrupt. And it's scary. And God didn't stop it. And it's here now. What am I going to do? Oh, 
I'm going to trust him. Because he knows better than I do. As painful as it is, there may come a day in which it is better for you to die and go to heaven than it is for you to continue living. It's not a decision that you can ever make. You won't have the necessary knowledge. You could be dying of cancer and horrible pain or lupus or ALS or something like that. And it would be better that you would just die and go to heaven than continue to endure that pain because you're not going to have any earthly benefit while you're still here. But only God could know that, right? Only God could know what you're going to do tomorrow. Only God could know what he's going to do. People have been miraculously healed. There have been people that have been in comas for 10 years on life support for 10 years and then woke up and lived the rest of their life. You can't know. Their variables are outside. But there could be a moment in time at which it's better for you to die and go to heaven than it is for you to live another 10 minutes. And if that happens and you don't learn this, you don't, we don't practice this, we don't start to do this, then when comes the time that it is better for us to die and go to heaven than it is for us to continue, you know what will happen? We'll be frustrated, angry, full of worry, full of regret. We won't be doing what it is that we're really supposed to do. And either A, we will die and go to heaven and get there and go, ooh, boy, really botch that one. Or we won't die. We'll continue to live, getting through that moment by our human efforts and live the rest of our lives outside the will of God. Suffering when we shouldn't have to suffer. In pain or penalty when we shouldn't have to be in pain or penalty. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Can you honestly sit here today and say, I am comfortable with the God of the universe deciding when I die? Can you say, I am comfortable with the God of the universe deciding when I suffer? Can you say, I am comfortable with the God of the universe deciding when I suffer, how much I suffer? If so, then you can say, I trust the Lord. If you cannot then you need to adjust. You need to repent of your sin. You need to repent of trying to be in control of your own life. Repent of turning away from God. Repent of trying to be a friend with the world. Repent of trying to manage the resources that God has blessed you with in a way that you think will turn out better. And instead, do what it is that God would have you to do with your life. And then when he takes it, when the time comes and he says, that's it, we're done, you'll go straight to heaven and you'll be able to look back and go, yeah, Totally saw that coming. There was going to be a moment. I knew there was going to be a moment. Now you'll recall last week we had a sermon. I talked about the affliction. And this is my final, final kind of illustration, if you will. We talked about the affliction. And I gave you a, uh, a little list. And I said, affliction is imminent. Remember? For believers, affliction is imminent. The Bible says so. God says so. And so in order for us to settle down and deal with affliction when it comes... This is what I said. To prepare for future affliction, even while facing the afflictions of today, this is what you do. Number one, know what God has called us to. Number two, build a surplus of strength for defense, spiritual disciplines, armor of God, acting out what we're supposed to do. Number three, warn and encourage other believers about the coming affliction. Number four, consider affliction that is suffered for God as being blessed to suffer as Jesus did. And number five, adopt. You're going to have to kill me to stop me when dealing with the affliction. Now I'm saying to you that the good of God is imminent. You understand? In the middle of the storm, David could say, 
I would have despaired had I not hoped for the good of the Lord when? When I go to heaven, right? No. He said, had I not hoped for the good of the Lord in this lifetime. This is what you can know for sure when you face your next storm. If you will, turn it over to the Lord. Do the best you know how to do, the best you know how to do it, and turn the rest over to God. Then God will see you through it, and he will do better for you and good for you and bless you on the other side of it in ways that you cannot right now understand. Truth is, if you have not seen some of the blessings of God that you could have seen, it's probably because you didn't turn the storms of your life over to him. Because you're not as good at blessing yourself as God is at blessing you. Say to the Lord, okay, Lord, this looks like everything could go down right here. This could be the end of, insert whatever it is that's really bothering you. Lord, please help me. Thank you for whatever the outcome is. I trust you with my today. I trust you with my tomorrow. And watch if the Lord doesn't bring you out better than ever before. Every single time in Scripture somebody suffered, every time without fail, God always brought them out better off than before. God bless you as you seek to submit your life to the Lord. But if you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, in earnest, you've not trusted Jesus with your today, your tomorrow, and your forever, then do that right now in this moment. And then as we have an invitation here in a second, you're going to respond. You're going to say, that's me. I'm trusting Jesus with my today, my tomorrow, and my forever. And if you've never done it, you're not saved until you've done it. And if you've done it in the last few minutes as I've been talking, you're saved now. Doesn't mean storms won't come. Just means now you know how to deal with them. And if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know for a fact He's saved. You know for a fact God sent His Holy Spirit and you felt the Spirit testifying to you that you know that you're saved. Then already as we've been talking, you know you need to follow this action plan to deal with the storms of your life. And in so doing, open up the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. It's hard to fathom. Impossible. I pray for you briefly and then we'll have the praise team come forward and lead us. Father in heaven, even as I was writing this message, I was thinking about how I, I have faced affliction and storms even recently. You know it's on my heart and I'm very concerned about what's going on with Sherry and her health. And we've had some scares in other ways in our family, in our church, with health, with relationship stuff. It amazes me how sometimes we, as believers, when it starts to go wrong and we see this starting to go wrong, we're basically working on the wrong side. Somebody tells us that in order to get past this or deal with this, we've got to do this thing. We've got to give something up. We've got to put our nose to the grindstone, get to work. We've got to practice certain skills, prepare, be strong overcome, and we just don't want to. We're mad, complaining, frustrated, in denial, grieving, all the stages thereof. We just don't want to deal with it. It's come on us unawares, and instead of being prepared, instead of being ready, 
instead of being with you, talking to you, serving you, doing what we're supposed to be doing, the way we're supposed to be doing it, we're unaware. And we act like in that moment, we're going to suddenly go, oh, I'm going to do what God wants me to do now. Now that I see this is going badly, I'm going to start. It doesn't work that way. You know better. It's unreasonable to even think that it works that way. We know because of muscle memory and programming, we're, we're in the heat of the moment, we're most likely to do what we've always done, whatever that is. And the only way for us to be sure and do these things, to reach the peace that passes understanding, to reach the good that you have for us and to see it in this lifetime, the way to do that is to make the thing that we've always done what we're supposed to do in you, what you have for us to do, to the best of our knowledge, and to trust you with the rest. Help us, Lord. Help us do that with the upcoming storms or the storms we're in now. Forgive us when we've not done it in the past. Help that one or more person that's in the room right now that's wrestling with themselves over whether to surrender their life to Jesus in earnest. That they would just do that. Help that one or more persons that are in the room right now that are saying, I know this is not the way I've been handling the storms of my life. And I need to repent and I need to turn to God. And I need to handle the storms of my life this way. And then when I face them in the future, I will know that nothing less than the peace that passes understanding and the good that God can do, nothing less than those things are what's on the line. Not what I see as a possible outcome. Not my money or my time or my relationships or my feelings. But the peace that passes understanding and the good that God can do. That's what's on the line. I can't lose that, Lord. I need that every day. I can't risk it. Not on some dumb gamble that I might be able to make things better in my own strength. I want to trust you, God. I want that same trust for anybody that's in this room who earnestly wants eternity with you, forgiveness from sins, your presence in their life. Lord, let us be united in this, that we trust you with our today, our tomorrow, and our forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask the praise team to come forward at this time. We're going to have our closing hymn, and this is your opportunity to respond. If you are accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time today, you come and let us know that. And if you are committing yourself to trust Jesus with your today, tomorrow, and forever, that you know you have not been doing that, you come forward and let us know that change of heart that God has brought to you. Thanks for listening. I hope you've wrestled with inside yourself and with God's help the message today and you're prepared to trust God with your today, your tomorrow, and your eternity. I know that God plans good things for you. I know at times you feel like you might despair if you couldn't hope for the good that God has planned. Please, please know that you can hope for the good that God has planned. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He has a plan for your future. Trust him with it and he'll bring it about.
Check us out online at churchtoledo.com. There's a special page there called Your Thoughts in which you can enter any thoughts or comments you might have regarding today's podcast or anything you're studying in the Bible or any questions or thoughts that you may be having rumbling around in your head. Your Thoughts on the churchtoledo.com page. You can also give there if you choose to, if the Lord so leads. There's also a page there about becoming a member or a member non-resident. That is to say, someone who believes that God is calling them to be part of the New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. But there are barriers, perhaps geography or transportation or other barriers that keep you from being involved. Information is found there on our website, churchtoledo.com. If you need to mail something to the church building, it's 255 Hefner Street, Toledo, Ohio, 43605. Perhaps you're close enough and you'd like to come worship with us some Sunday at 1130. Or join us in Bible study on Tuesday nights at 630. May God bless you as you seek to reach new heights in Jesus. Go ahead and stand with us and sing this song. But you respond if the Lord has laid it on your heart to do so. Mm-hmm.